Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. All right, welcome back to Crossroads Church. We are in week three of Back to the Basics. We took a week off last week uh, in honor of Sanctity of Human Life. And so if you remember in week one, I talked about there's four things that we need to focus on as Christians. And number one was prayer. We need to have a prayer life. You have a direct line to the creator of the universe available to you. And we should use that every day. Week two, I talked to you about uh, God's Word and how that it's not just for us to learn or get knowledge, it's to change us, transform us. We got to start moving from knowing and doing what we know. And then this week, I'll be introducing the, the next one and probably, I believe, the most important one. But before I do that, I want to remind us of the Bible verse for this series which is Colossians 2.6, and I'm going to ask you to help me uh, do this. Colossians 2.6, all right? The, the words are up there in front of you. So, and you just repeat after me, all right? The way I say it, you say it. So then, so then just as you received Christ Jesus, as Lord, continue to live your life in Him. One more time. So then... Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Easy to say, hard to do. Here's why. is because a lot of times, especially in the church, we get caught up in what we call the lower room. The lower room is full of Christ followers and some that aren't, that come to church for preferences. They come to church because um, either a personality is here that they like, there's a program, a kids ministry, a youth ministry, uh, something that we do in the uh, community. They come because of a friend, a people that they know. And what happens is they, they have this thought, this question that's going on in their mind all the time. Now, um, they, they rarely recognize that they've got this question until I point it out. And that is this, what's in it for me? They come to church wanting to know what is God going to do for them? We just sang that song, I'm not here for blessings. Now, folks, I, I want to be blessed. But there's times where we've got to put our selfish needs aside and just focus on our Savior. And what you'll realize is it's less about you and what God will do through you for other people. And that takes us up to the upper room where we find purpose. When we are living in the upper room, the thought that goes through our mind or the question is, what's my purpose? Who can I help? In the lower room, you, we have this mindset of show up, shut up, and pay up. All right, so if you've if you got a problem with showing up, um, shutting up, and uh, paying up, you're probably down in the lower room. 
If, on the other hand, you're looking for ways to expand your influence, expand the way that God works through you, that's what the upper room looks like. Now, how do we get from the lower room where it's all about preference and move to purpose, and and we use those stair steps called discipleship? This doesn't happen overnight. You are going to have great weeks of uh, prayer, and you're going to have weeks where you're like, pray? What's that term you spoke of? You're going to have great weeks where you open up God's Word and it comes alive to you. There's other times where you uh, build dust up on your Bible. Or if you use the YouVersion app, it says uh, you've got a streak of seven days of not opening this up. No, I don't think they do those kind of streaks. The concept today I want to introduce you to is called a confession. And before I get into that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just ask that uh, you guide my thoughts, my words. Lord, I pray that you would soften the hearts of everyone here and just show every one of us where we need to be in this relation of this word confession. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Confession. It's not easy, but it's powerful. All right, say that with me. It's not easy. Okay, all right. It's not easy. Confession is very powerful when we use it. But confession is probably the most, I wouldn't say abused, but it's the most underused thing we as Christians should do. See, confession keeps us from, when when we have sin in our life, it keeps us from telling other people about Jesus. When we have unconfessed sin in our life, it keeps us from praying. When we have unconfessed sin in our life, it keeps us from reading the Bible. When we have unconfessed sin in our life, it keeps us from living out our faith. Why? Well, because we indict ourselves. We have shame and guilt because of that. And the enemy doesn't help us out. So when I say the word confession to you, I'm wondering, what comes to mind? for, For me... I think of a guy by the name of David. Uh, He uh, was in the uh, army. He was a Green Beret, and he was a linguist. And what that meant back in the early 90s, if you were a linguist, uh, you were an interrogator. And but this guy, if you met him, I mean, I mean, he was nice, calm. I mean, well put together, uh, all American, and yet his job was an interrogator. I wonder how many of us think when we see the word confession, we think about an interrogator. Like you're in their room and there's a light and then they got it shining and all you can see is this bright light and they're like, did you do it? Maybe you think about uh, what we see on TV or if you grew up in the Catholic church, the confessional booth where uh, you went into this little closet and there was a a, a little cloth there that that came back and a screen and, and you were given a chance to confess. Maybe you've been in those churches where that, that's not good enough. They want you right up here, up front, you know, tell them what you did. And uh, maybe you're familiar with uh, confessions at an AA meeting or Celebrate Recovery. I don't know what your definition of confession is coming in, but uh, here's what I want you to know. Here's what confession is not. Confession is not telling God something that he doesn't already know. Now, um, my, parents, you know what I'm talking about. You ask your kids questions, and you know the answer. 
You know the answer. You know if they're guilty, if they're innocent. You're testing them. Um, I was in basic training, and I was the dorm chief, and I remember one night after lights out, our uh, drill instructor uh, came in, and I could hear him in the next bay over asking one of my squad leaders, and uh, this airman, we called him Casper, because he was white. I mean, like Casper the ghost, white. And so um, our drill instructor was calling him, Casper? He said, what, what are you doing? And I could hear Casper, uh, I mean, and he's like that attention in his bed. And he is uh, telling them, nothing, drill sergeant. Drill instructor, Casper, I asked you, what are you doing? Casper, again, laying there at attention. Nothing, drill sergeant. So, Casper, I'm going to ask you one more time, and you better tell me the truth. He goes, were you doing anything before I came in here? Casper said, no, sir. And drill sergeant said, I only got one question for you then, Casper. What's that, drill sergeant? He goes, what's that letter doing on your chest? So what, what had happened was he was writing a love letter to his mom, I'm sure. And when he heard the drill instructor come in, he just laid it and went down like he was sleeping. And in that dark room, you know what stood out the most? That white sheet of paper. Well, I don't know if you guys have been through basic training or ladies, if you've ever heard, but if you get caught writing a letter like that, everybody gets to read it. Because a drill instructor the next day reads it to the entire, I mean, matter of fact, he got on the intercom and read it to the building. And it wasn't a letter to his mom. Confession is not like Casper. You're, you're, not, you're telling God something he already knows. And so there's no reason to lie. Confession is not blaming. Confession is not looking at your circumstances. Confession is not complaining about where you are in life. Confession is not whining, although many of our prayers, and we saw David, he said that. I complain and whine, and, and that, that's the way David prayed. I'm, and I'm confident those are some of the ways that I prayed. And I bet that there's probably someone else here in this room that sometimes your prayers sound like complaining and whining. But that's not what confession sounds like. Confession is not excuses. Corey Ten Boom wrote this statement. The blood of Jesus never cleansed an excuse. And it's so easy for us to take those to God. Well, God, you know this is why, but that's not what confession is. Confession is a radical reliance on grace. The word confess is a, if you read it in the Greek, it's a present tense, which means that it's something that you do continually daily. So how often should we spend time in confession to God? Every day. Confession is a deep belief that what I'm doing is wrong, but God's grace is greater than that. 
Confession is the belief that God's grace is sufficient to forgive, and not just forgive me, but to change me. You see, if we have a small grace, that we have small confessions. When we have small confessions, they're rare confessions, they're shallow confessions. When we recognize a great grace, we'll have great confessions. These are honest confessions. These are confessions that recognize that God's grace is sufficient. No more secrets. God's grace is sufficient. So why do we confess to God? If God knows everything, he already knows that I sinned, why do I need to confess to him? You see, it's not about God knowing. It's about God connecting with us. Maybe a better way to say that is about us connecting with God. There's many examples of confessions throughout the Bible. The prodigal son. The prodigal son, when his father saw him, ran, gripped him in his arms, and the first words out of the son's mouth was, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. Jesus tells the story of a tax collector who is overheard praying, and he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Maybe another famous confession in the Bible is David. Psalm 32 and verse 2 says these words, When I refuse to confess my sin, now what sin do you think David was talking about? Look, I, I mean, either we got Bible theologians out there, or everybody, when they think about David's sin, they think about Bathsheba. You know there was a worse sin than what he did with Bathsheba, right? Murder. Okay, but let's just stay with Bathsheba, all right? Adultery. Then he carried that on, and he killed her husband, Uriah, murdered him. And then he was full of pride because he was the king, and nobody was questioning him. Nobody called him out on it. And so he walked around like nothing had ever happened. And everybody knew about Bathsheba. Everybody knew that she was pregnant. Everybody knew that it was David's. And everybody knew that he killed her husband. Well, here David is going, and it's interesting that he says those words, when I refuse to confess my sin, because here's what was going on. He had convinced himself that he'd gotten away with it. He had convinced himself that he was that important to God. And then 2 Samuel chapter 12, he gets a visit from a prophet named Nathan. 2 Samuel 12 and verse 1 begins reading this. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. Did you know that the prophets back in the Old Testament, they used what we call today word pictures? Nathan is about to paint a word picture for David. And David swallows it hook, line, and sinker. And Nathan says, the rich man in verse 2 had very many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb. Why would that be important to David? Because David had been a shepherd. Now, if y'all were here yesterday and we talked about David, what did he have? A whole heart. It sure doesn't look like it right now. And he had this one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and he brought it up, and it grew up with his children. He used to eat of the morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. 
It was like a daughter to him. So those of you that have pets and treat them like children, it's in the Bible. It's okay. I don't know if they're going to heaven, uh, but I think they'll be up there with you. That's rawnology for those of you who haven't been here before. Can't find it in the Bible, but I think it's right. Verse 4. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or, or herd. And how many, how many did he have in his flock and herd? Many. Thousands. How many did this other person have? One. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now let that sink in. I don't know how many months it's gone, but Bathsheba's showing. They probably keep her out of public. Everybody knows what's happened. David thinks he's gotten away with it. And then Nathan, the prophet, shows up, tells this story to David, and David says, you know what? If I could get my hands on him. In verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Now, I want to go back to Psalm 32 and finish up what he said. He says, when I refuse to confess my sin, here's what happens. My body wasted away. I groaned all the day long. The heavy hand of discipline was on me night and day. See, in public, he made it look like everything was okay. In public, he made it look like he'd gotten away with it and nobody was going to say anything. Why? Because he was the king. But in private, it affected him physically, it affected him emotionally, and it affected him spiritually. So when it comes to this topic of confession, there's three types of confession I want to share with you that we all should practice. And the first one is confession to God. Now, I already asked you that question. If God already knows everything, why do we confess to him? It's not about God. You're right. He knows. He knows it better than you'll confess it, probably. But here's what he says. He says that he'll purify us from every unrighteousness, the gunk in our souls. Confession is the tool that God uses to cleanse our hearts. But when we're unwilling to confess to God, we refuse to connect with him. And we deny our need for the cross and for forgiveness. And the effect of this becomes spiritual, emotional, 
and physical. I'm confident you can go back to a time in your life, maybe you're living in that season now, where you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that there's something that's not right. You don't want to use the word wicked. You probably don't even want to call it sin. But the Holy Spirit's telling you it's both. And it's affecting you spiritually, emotionally, and physically. If you were to write one of the Psalms, you could write Psalm 32. But let me share with you, here's the best way to keep guilt out of your life. When you sin, get to God with the sin before the devil does. See, that's why we want to confess our sins daily. Don't give it a week to build up, because during that week, it's going to keep you out of the Bible. It's going to keep you from praying. It's going to hurt your relationships. Do it immediately. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 and verse 7, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. And if you've ever wondered what's the difference between something being wicked and something being unrighteous, wicked is when you actually do it, you live it out, and unrighteous is when you're thinking about it. And I'm convinced that there is wickedness and unrighteousness in our lives today. Those that are here in this room, those that are watching online, many people come to church on Sunday not wanting to talk about what they did on Saturday. And they do this as a, a, a way to make themselves feel better, to try to ease the guilt. But God didn't say, go to church on Sunday. He said, confess. The second part of Isaiah 55, 7 says this, let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. Now, have you ever had to go to somebody and you're looking for mercy from them? I've been watching this Caught in Providence on video and, and that judge, he has a lot of mercy. I'm like, if, if I have to go before a judge after I drive Joe's car, I want that judge. And I'm going to have Joe right there beside me, helping him in. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to get every sympathy vote I can. But have you ever gone to somebody and you're afraid because you're afraid that they're not going to give you the mercy that you're asking for? This could be a, a family member. It could be a boss. It could be a sibling. But the Bible says, let us turn to the Lord and he will have mercy. And turn to our God, for he will freely pardon. See, he's already done it all. Revelation 12.10 talks about the devil. He calls him the accuser of the brethren. And when you don't confess your sins, you leave room for the devil and demonic activities become the accuser, whether that's before God or whether that's in your ears. And here's what I would tell you is don't let them win. We've already won the victory, and it's not a victory that we've won. We've won it through the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confession to God is number one. We all must be doing that, and how often should we do it? Daily. 
The second thing is confession to others. Now, the last one probably made you nervous. This one is going to flat out scare you. You're like, uh, I thought we were Baptists, not Catholic. We're not doing all that confessional booth thing. But here's what the Word of God says. That there are sins that we are going to take to the Father immediately. How often? Daily. Immediately. But when we sin against each other, we also must confess to one another. Here's how God uses confession to others. When confessed, you name the sin to somebody else, sin loses its power on you. See, many of you are still in the stronghold of sin because you haven't told anyone else about it. And here's what, you're like David, and you think that nobody knows. You think that your brothers and sisters don't know. You think that your mom and dad doesn't know. You think that the people that you spend the most time with, that they have no idea about this problem that you've got. The only one that doesn't know is you. And what you don't realize is that you have given Satan power and dominion over your own life because you're afraid to confess it. You're afraid to confess it to God, and you're afraid to confess it out loud. And let me just say this from when I was a teenager. You know why the reason why I didn't want to confess some sins to my mom and dad? Because I was still doing them. And, and I didn't want to cut that gravy train off. You know, it, the Bible says the pleasures of sin for a season. And I have no doubt that there are people here within the sound of my voice that are living in a season of sin and you're enjoying it. You're okay with it. And yet you know as well as I do that there's going to be a payday someday. God uses humble, honest, and painful confession to help us see more clearly. See, we need to learn how to confess our sins honestly. If you do sin, don't be tempted to lie about it. Because that's normally what we do. How do we get out of one lie? A bigger lie. So we need to learn to confess our sins and to confess them specifically. Don't hover in generalities. I'm struggling. I had a rough few days. I've been tempted recently. I love it when I'm in a counseling session and, and those words come out, and then I just name the problem. And they're like, uh, you got my email account? Or did my wife call? Um, See, those are good introductions to the conversation that you really want to have, but they're not the substance. The substance should be straightforward. I've sinned. See, that's how everyone in the Bible modeled confession. I have sinned. And then they listed what they did. James 5, 16 gives us this promise. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. That's for all of us. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote these words. I mean, it was probably hard for James growing up as the brother of Jesus. I mean, you know, I know we want to think that Jesus was just another child, but he was a little better than everyone else. I mean, he was teaching when he was 10 years old the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were amazed. And here's James, you know, he, he don't know his right foot from his left foot. But here's what he said. Confess your sins one to another. 
And here's why we confess to one another. So that you can pray for one another. And here's what happens. Here's what happens when you are willing to step out of your comfort zone, to, to step through the fear of being exposed and being the person that exposes yourself. Remember, you're probably the last person to realize that you're the last person to know. And it says that you may be healed. There are many of you who have been struggling for years and you've never experienced the healing that God's word promises because you've never practiced what God's word tells us to do. See, because with every promise, there's a premise. If you want healing, you need to confess to someone else. Now, I would tell you this, be wise in who you confess to because there's people who will be on Facebook this afternoon. Please pray for Brother Ronnie. Don't tell anybody, but... Have you ever seen them Facebook posts where they don't want to identify who it is, but like everybody knows? And then you see it in the comments, well, what's wrong with Ronnie? <laughs> David finally confessed his sins to Nathan, and he was healed. Up until the point that Nathan came into his life, what was his life like? Miserable. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. What is your life like when you have sins that you've confessed to God and yet you know that you should do what James 5.16 says and you haven't done it? I'm telling you right now, your life is the same. It's miserable. You might get through one week, you might get through a couple days, but the reality is this, that you don't have a relationship with your father, your creator, that you desire, that you want more than anything. And just like David, pride's telling you that nobody knows. It's okay, Ronnie. Nobody knows about that. You're going to be all right. Let's get through this message. He's going to something else next week. Psalm 51, David said these words in response to this very sin. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I know that there's Christians here that have got unconfessed sin in their life and they need to know what the joy of that salvation feels like again. Because if you're, if you're that person, you're probably wondering if you're saved or not. The number one question I get asked as a pastor when the door gets shut, am I really saved? Why would you ask that question? And then they tell me. The third type of confession is corporate confession. Probably one of the most quoted verses inside the church. John 3.16, most quoted outside the church. Oh, I'm sorry. That was judge not that you be not judged. Um, the, probably the most quoted verse inside the church, certainly when I was growing up, was 2 Chronicles 7.14. Starts off with this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Three actions, right? Remember the premise? If they humble, they pray, and they turn. From what? Wicked ways. What does it mean when it says a wicked way? They're actually doing it. 
not thinking about it. They're elbow deep into this. And the second part of that verse says this, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will what? Heal their land. Folks, I wonder why Centralia has some of the struggles that it has. Struggles with drugs, struggles with trafficking, prostitution. It's a little town off the road. Why? Because the churches in Centralia haven't humbled themselves, haven't prayed, and haven't turned to God. And because they haven't, God didn't hear, he hasn't forgiven, and he hasn't healed. But you know, I don't think that the problem's isolated to the city of Centralia. I think that there's families represented here today, that there's problems in your family, and you are missing out on the healing that God wants to provide because you're not willing to do the humble. You're not willing to call out. You're not willing to turn from that wickedness. I'll share with you one more story. Joshua chapter 7. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, what was the motion for Joshua? All right. About four of you out there. So when we did walk through the Bible, there was literally a um, hundred different uh, reminders, physical reminders of, of the story of the Old Testament. And so Joshua, he was a general. And Joshua had just led the children of Israel through a victory at the battle of Jericho. Remember, they didn't do nothing. They just sang. They worried a lot, but they sang and shouted. And the walls came tumbling down. And, and Joshua had told the people, because God had told Joshua, don't keep anything from the city of Jericho. The reason why is God takes the first of everything. And he said that nothing in the city of Jericho. They conquered They're going on to the next town, a place called Ai. Not very big. Joshua sends out some of the spies, and they, they come back and say, look, give us 3,000 men. We'll whoop these guys in a hurry. They sent 3,000, and those guys come running back with their tails tucked. Joshua falls on his face before God. And God tells them there's sin in the camp. And so they started lining them up tribe by tribe, family by family, and started going to each one. And they got to this tent where a man named Achan lived. As soon as they get there, and as soon as Joshua stands before him, God's Spirit tells Joshua that this is the problem. And Achan says, behold, I've sinned. He says, I saw this garment that looked nice. I saw some silver and I saw some gold. 
and I buried it underneath my tent. Church confession is not easy, but it's powerful. We should do this daily. We should do it deliberately, and we should do it decisively. The only type of sin that can defeat you if you're a Christian is unconfessed sin. The blood of Jesus covers all confessed sins. 1 John 1, 9. But we've got to call it what it is. If it's pride, we need to call it pride. If it's lust, we need to call it lust. If it's greed, call it what it is. Second, we need to confess it when it occurs. See, we often sin retail. It's like Oprah. You get some pornography. You get a little bit of adultery. You get some foul language. You get a steal. But when it comes time for confession, we do that wholesale confession. I don't know if you did this, but I, I, this is probably the prayer I prayed more as a young boy in church growing up as I went to bed at night, and I would say something like this, Lord, forgive me for the sins that I did today. I didn't list them. I didn't have that much time. <laughs> but that's not the kind of sin that God forgives. He forgives the confessed sin. And it's incumbent upon us to tell him what it is. Not because he doesn't know, because just like that drill sergeant, he's looking at the letter. He sees what your sin is. He knows the name of Uriah. He wants to know, will you recognize it as for what it is, and that is wickedness? And are you willing to trust his grace? Confession does not seek amnesty. It seeks pardon. What's the difference? Pardon accepts the guilt. Amnesty comes from the word amnesia. It means forgets. I know most of us like to have amnesia when it comes to our sins. We love that where it says that God takes our sins and separates it as far as the east is from the west. That sounds beautiful and poetic. But he doesn't do that until we confess it until he pardons us. Confession admits the wrong and seeks forgiveness. I close with this, Psalm 139. I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit's telling you now that you don't have to continue to cover up your sin just like David. You need to confess. And maybe like David, you can offer up a prayer that he penned in Psalm 139. When he said these words, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. You see, not only does God save us, but he sanctifies us. He changes us. Maybe we need a a grace-based confession like David had. God's brought to mind things in your life that need to be confessed, then I encourage you to receive it with the grace that God gives. Because it's through the grace that God gives for our confessed sin comes healing. And the church is a place where healing can take place. 
And I got to tell you, you're in a church where grace is freely given. The second part of Psalm 139 and verse 24, he says, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, before I was a pastor, I was in the military, and part of those years, I worked as a radiology tech. I took x-rays. You'll be amazed at what I found inside the human body. Doctors left sponges, scalpels, all kinds of surgical instruments. Six weeks later, someone has a bellyache. They come by, we take an x-ray, and sure enough, there it is. wonder if God needs to run an x-ray on you. I think that's what Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, is you submitting to God's x-ray and him telling you what's there. You know, for some of us, the confession needs to go deeper. It's not just a, a lie that you told last week or something bad that you said last month. It may be a, a year of living, and you've never taken that back to God and given it back to him. Today, I challenge you to receive the grace that only God can give. Worship team, if you'll come forward. You will stand to your feet. I'm going to ask the prayer team, altar response team, come up, and they are going to they're going to start praying right now. And and then when I'm done praying, they'll be standing along here. I'll join them. And, and here's what I would tell you, church: Do not miss out. You you today is the day. T today is the opportunity for us to receive healing. If you're here today and you're hurting, if you're here today, I want you to receive that healing. God wants you to receive that healing. Because if he, you don't, what Jesus did on the cross was in vain. The most important thing for any of us is this, that we experience everlasting life. How do we do that? Step number one is that we admit that we're sinners. And then we believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he died on the cross to pay for my sins because I'm a sinner. And then the third part is we confess that because what you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for the worship we experienced earlier. And God, I thank you for this time of worship that we're about to enter. And Lord, I know that there are people here that are, are fearful, but yet God, you have made them uncomfortable, you've made them miserable, and, and healing is just around the corner. Lord, I pray that you would move, you would give courage. I pray that this altar would be filled with those that want to experience healing. They want to go through 2022, not like they lived 2021, not like 2020 or any previous year where they just buried and they put that sin and they hid it. But God, they've gotten that out of their way. They've come to you for grace and mercy. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for all that you are doing in our church, all that you are doing in each one of these families.
in all that you're going to do through the Centralia community. Amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.